Would you bow in prayer with me? Our Lord, that is our desire today, that the river of your love will flow into us and then through us into a world so thirsty to know that love, to be embraced by it, to be changed by it. Use your word today to touch our hearts and change them, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to kick off a new year of preaching by focusing on my very favorite subject in the whole world, namely, what it's like to be loved by God, really smothered in his unconditional love. As we embrace God's love, we begin to understand the words of this text because until we've really tasted of God's love, it really doesn't make sense when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But once touched by God's love, those words come alive because God implanted in you and in me two basic needs. We have a need to love and to be loved by God and a need to love and to be loved by each other. John Ortberg correctly states, unless we're exchanging deeply committed levels of love with a few people, we're going to die slowly inside. If we don't learn to exchange love, we'll eventually grow numb and no longer believe love is even a possibility. God hungers for us to be loved and to give love to others. That's what the church is all about. And that's why Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Well, we're going to take a few moments and allow the wisdom of these words of Scripture to speak to us on this incredibly good subject about loving and being loved by God and by our neighbor. First, we love God because God first loved us. The text says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. I wonder how many of us really fully understand what it's like to be loved by God. You see, it's a love not related to our performance, and that's so far beyond our normal experience patterns. His love doesn't increase when we're good. He doesn't withdraw it when, we're, when we behave badly. Embracing God's unconditional love actually should fill us with praise and wonder and joy every single day. We should be the happiest people on earth. And I would offer you, that's why in worship, Worship should be filled with joy and praise and adoration like we do here. This should be the happiest spot in Menlo Park because we are a group of people who've experienced, been saturated with the love of God and we can't help ourselves but break out in praise. You see, as God's love grabs our hearts and minds, it changes us. It isn't a chore, you know, so often, Preachers think it's our job to make us love God. It's not a chore to love God. I don't have to urge you to love God. It's just something we can't help doing once we've tasted of his love. A friend called last week relating how she had been caught up in a legalistic church for several years. And every week all she heard was some new program by which if she were good and she could do this and that and discipline and not do this and that, she could please God. The problem is she couldn't do it. And so every day, every week, it was sort of frustration and increasing fear of God and 
increasing expectation of his punishment because she wasn't shaping up. But one weekend, she visited a church where a friend of mine was preaching on God's forgiving grace. And she made this discovery. I finally found out I don't have to be perfect in order for God to love me. And suddenly I feel very free. And I thought, what a pity that she'd been in a church that had so distorted the love of God that she thought she had to be perfect in order to be loved by him. I, I'm looking for a metaphor that might help you understand uh, what I'm really trying to emphasize about God's love this morning. And I tell you, for all these years, you've put up with my uh, stories about my children, but now I have grandchildren, and I, I just got to tell you, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of wish they'd come first. Uh, no offense, Leslie, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, what I've discovered about grandchildren, I, I have this little guy, his name John, he's one, and he can't really do much but be. He can make noise, he can drink milk, he can spill milk, he can have a runny nose. But you know, this morning I saw him out there in his daddy's arms and he reached out like this with his Madeline giving me a bite and he says, Papa, and I'll tell you, what, what are you gonna do? You just, you just melt. He can't do a thing to earn my love. It's just that who he is, and I can't help loving him. And you know, that's exactly how God loves you and me. The Bible says God is love. He can't help loving us. We're his children. We don't have to earn it. And he doesn't withdraw it when we disappoint him. And it doesn't increase when we think we're doing a pretty good job. And it takes us almost a lifetime to kind of get that through our heads. I'm so happy that God's love for us isn't based upon the scorecards in our game of life, upon our moral purity, our achievements. In fact, as I said, you know, God loves just because it's his nature to love, and I want to tell you that. I also want to say a word about Judgment Day. Judgment Day is used so often by preachers to kind of use some leverage, you know. You might get in and you get out, depending on how the scales fall between your good stuff and your bad stuff, and that's a heresy. Judgment Day will be nothing less than a celebration of praise and gratitude that we've accepted this incredible gift of God's love that came to us in Jesus Christ when we trusted him as our savior. Do we realize none of us will be in heaven because we deserve to be there? We're gonna spend eternity doing what we did here in worship this morning, praising God for one reason alone, he loved us so much he sent Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. Jesus did all the performing. All we have to do is do the receiving of grace. And as a result of that, you and I can have a hope of spending eternity with a holy God, totally divorced from performance, law-keeping, and moral purity. As our text states, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him not through good works, not through obeying some orthodox doctrine, not through being churchy and religious, living through the grace of Jesus alone. Well, for those of us who know we're not making the cut for meeting God's standards of righteousness, this is good news. Because after a lot of years at trying, I still don't make it. God forgives me every day. But you see, unconditional love casts out the fear of not making it, and therefore we're going to be punished. Any more than none of my children ever wonder if their performance isn't up to level that I'm going to start love them, stop loving them or they're going to cease to be my children. Can't happen. 
That's why the Bible says there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Now, obviously, this news is still confusing and even offensive to upright, legalistic, religious folk. In fact, if you remember the anger expressed by the self-righteous religious leaders of our Lord's day, you get some kind of idea that people who like to get to God on the basis of performance don't like to hear they're not making it. <laughs> Can you imagine? I, it, it's really dramatic, almost, I wouldn't call it funny, but maybe, when Jesus told those Pharisees of his time, dressed in their religious robes, who spent night and day, 24 hours a day, meticulously obeying the law. And he says, hey guys, you're not making the cut. Do you realize that hookers, swindlers, and robbers, and all kinds of people are gonna get into heaven before you? That was not good news because they just didn't get it. You had to do one thing. Either fall on your knees and find him through his cross, forgiving your sin, or you've got to kill him. And of course, that's what they chose to do. And we still do it. Legalistic people don't like grace. They don't understand it. They use the word, but they don't mean what Jesus means by grace. We're still working on it. So we live in this phony world of pretending to be something we're not and trying to convince everybody else. And it takes a lot of effort. I need to tell you, heaven is shut only to those who don't understand their personal need for God's grace. It's shut only to those too proud to get into the line and accept a handout of grace because there's no other way we can get in. We have nothing to offer God. Our best righteousness is his filthy rags. And the one thing we have that we can hold on to, Jesus loved me enough to die for me. And for that reason, I've accepted his grace I'm getting to heaven and being with my God because it was a free gift of grace. And I'm not ashamed to stand in line and accept it as a handout, as a beggar. In fact, nobody's going to be out of heaven, in hell, whatever that is, except that those who don't want to be there. Everybody's welcome in church, but some choose not to honor God here and have him part of their life. And that kind of just follows them into eternity. God wants everybody to be there. It's just some of us have such thick skulls we don't want to go on the conditions. You know, I'm amazed. I've been at this for almost 40 years, ministry. And I get more amazed every year that God still loves me and I can still represent him and get up in front and preach to you for the 27th time around the track. It's amazing to me. I, I'm not getting more holy, but I'm getting more confident of what it is to be loved by God. And, you know, it just blows me away. I understand grace. I finally, in spite of my childhood upbringing... I don't have to be afraid of God's punishment. That all happened to Jesus. I understand I'm forgiven. Even if I blow it day after day after day, God never gives up. He always is there to forgive me, pick up the pieces, and we start again. And that's why I can start a new year, say I'm not perfect, I'm in process, but God loves me and God loves you. And that's all we've got when we stand before him. You see, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love God because he first loved us, a first incredible truth. Secondly, after trusting God's love, it's only natural to extend this kind of love to our neighbor. The text says, if anyone says I love God, but he hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he's given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You know, this is why I'm so concerned that we be a church where we're kind to each other. 
where we don't gossip and slander and go on witch hunts of, for each other's dark side, where somehow we sit here feeling we're better than everybody out there, where there's certain people, you know, this is good people come, we're well-dressed and all that kind of stuff. I, I want us to be a church that simply loves people the way Jesus has unconditionally loved us. Let me give you an example. Last summer, I was standing outside of a beauty salon and uh, 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 I guess about an 18-year-old girl who had the adult size of an adult-sized head, but she had the body of an infant. I've never seen anything quite like that. And she was coming out in a wheelchair and I was kind of just caught up with the challenge that this poor woman must face. And, and, and compassion filled my heart. And I, all I did was kind of look at her. And this woman next to me, instead of just sitting there looking and gawking, went up and she says, you know, you have the most beautiful face. And that 18-year-old lady said, thank you. And I thought, you know, that's what love is. That's what Christ's love is. It doesn't focus on the challenges, the brokenness, the scars, the sins in our life. It sees the potential, the beauty, and it tells us about it. And I thought, wouldn't it be neat to have a church where we're just not all caught up in our brokenness and our past and our sins and the way we foul up, but we come here and treat each other as Jesus treats us. Broken, yes. Sinners, yes. Filled with potential by all means. And we see the beauty that God saw when he sent his son to die for us. And we affirm that. And we give people hope. And in spite of their track record, no matter how dirty their uniforms from the game of life, we say there's hope for you. Nobody's beyond the potential of God's grace to forgive them in Jesus Christ. Oh, to have a church free from judgmental attitudes, free from the feeling some are welcome here, some aren't. To have a church not concerned with dark sides, but bright sides. I, I need to tell you this, as we've been so blessed this year. You know, I don't think God, the community, maybe even many of us are very impressed with the fact that our budget's big, our buildings are in, our square footage is increasing, everything's growing, we got all this material stuff. You know what that is? That's simply a tool, a mechanism by which we can do a better job of caring for people in their brokenness and their fears and their needs. To give acceptance and hope and truth and healing and a warm embrace of hope and friendship to those who are living without it, who, who don't know God's love, who've never been introduced to what it is to be embraced, saturated with his unconditional kind of affection for us. And all the mechanism of this church is a hill of beans unless we go out and do what Jesus said, love God with our heart, mind, and soul, and love our neighbor as we've been loved. Then the tools make sense if they enable us to do that wonderful task. You know what I want our church to be known for? As being a place where people who've broken every rule in God's book, who can't pretend some phony holiness, who can't stop sinning, who have nothing to offer God but need. And these people come here and they find hope, acceptance, love, and new beginnings. We bathe in God's grace every week. As followers of Jesus, I need to tell you, we should get along very well with sinners. Jesus did. We're all sinners. The only difference between us and somebody who's, quote, not a Christian is we, we realized we were sick and we turned to the physician and we got, we're being healed by divine grace. We don't have it all together. We don't have to hide our struggles. We don't have to put each other on a perfection trip. So why does our church exist? To bring hope to the hopeless, 
and healing to the broken and good news of a savior's love to know to those who know they need a physician and to know that the savior will never, never give up on us. No matter how time, many times we fail, how often we rebuff him or how angry we might be at him for whatever reason. <clears throat> this is how people you see, know we're followers of Jesus when we're a church where we're known by our love. What excites me about our theme this year, embracing and expressing the unconditional love of Jesus, is that God's kind of love flowing into us and then through us can make a huge difference in our world. Do you want to be part of something where your life really has an impact? Part of a group that's going to do something that's going to matter a, a hundred, a thousand years from now? Then join up here. This is the only game in town that has eternal significance. Being the embodiment of Christ's love that will touch a world that's preoccupied with a bunch of stuff that means nothing ultimately, but they all have a built-in hunger for the love that only Jesus can satisfy, and we're the fountain from which they can drink. There was an old song of the 60s that said, what the world needs now is love. It was true then, it's true now, and it will always be true. Whatever else we think we need in Silicon Valley, we need God's amazing divine love that came to us in Jesus. So here are some possible things to think about as you go home. Let's be certain that we have personally embraced God's love by personally trusting Jesus as our Savior knowing we need it and allowing his grace to cover every dark chapter of our lives, our guilt, our past, so that we don't have to sit here in fear and shame and, and anticipation of divine punishment. We've been set free. Let's reach out to at least one person the Holy Spirit has laid on our hearts. And maybe let's say by Christmas we make a covenant to ask that person to coffee, to church, to a small group, or maybe just to take time to listen so that we might be used of Jesus to let them know we cared. Not to convert them, that's God's job. Just to love them. And then I'm going to tell you every week, commit yourself to a small group here in our church family because until you're in one, you're missing one of God's greatest points of leverage for changing you and me. Loving others one at a time is going to bring new fire, new passion, and new magnetism to our witness to the love of Jesus. I've been at this a lot of years. This year, I'm more excited than ever to, to proclaim this truth to you. Namely, that we demonstrate to a skeptical world, if any person be in Christ, they're a new creation, the old is passing away, and behold, the new is coming. That gives all of us hope, and that's what love is all about. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for your amazing love. Thanks for not giving up on us. And thanks for always welcoming us home when we've been to the far country, done all the stuff we can't believe. And you wash us off, give us a new robe, and start us again. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.